Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to worship this morning. We're going to take uh, a couple of moments of quiet before we begin uh, to prepare our hearts. Um, a good prayer might be that God would be uh, softening our hearts to hear the message, be removing all distractions from us as we meet to worship Him. Hear these words from Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. As we meet together this morning to praise and worship God, we pray that he would be with us and he blessing our time together. As we, as we sing our first song, let us worship God with praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. In verse 3 particularly, we praise God for his daily mercy, and we'll be hearing of that in our sermon later on. So we'll stand to sing when the music begins.
let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are worthy of all our praise. You are the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, and we humble ourselves before you today. We see your great power in sustaining this world that you have created, and we worship you. As we think about how awesome you are, we also realize how sinful and weak we are. Lord, we confess again our sins to you. We are sorry for the things we have done this week that have displeased you, and we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you that through the death of your son, Jesus, we can ask for this forgiveness with confidence, knowing that Christ's death was enough to pay for all our wrongdoings. Lord, we pray that you would be working in us to be purifying our lives, that you'd be molding us to become more Christ-like. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. If the children would like to come forward, then Richard is going to speak to you. Well, not very many this morning. Good morning. Can we have the first picture on the screen, um, please, Phil? Do you remember last week seeing a picture like that on the screen? That Joseph showed you. And Joseph told you that No, it was is on. It is on. Where are we? I don't know. That's on. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? Is that better? Yeah. Can we start again? <laughs> Last week you saw a picture like that and Joseph told you that if you break the speed limit, you're breaking the law and you're going to get punished. Now I want to ask a question now, not of you children, but of the adults here. I would like any adult here who drives a car who has never once gone over the speed limit, knowingly or unknowingly, to stand up, please. <laughs> For those watching... Oh! For those watching online, nobody sensible stood up and answered that question. <laughs> if you remember last week, have the next picture. Joseph said that if we break God's laws, if we do things that are unpleasing to God, then there will be punishment, and that all people who disobey God's law will die. Would anybody in the audience like to stand up and disobey God's law? 
once again, nobody has stood up because all of us have broken God's law. And we all deserve punishment. And that is very sad. But you know, God loves us and he decided to put a rescue plan in place. Can we have the next picture, please? God's rescue plan involved sending somebody. Can you see the J up there? That's a clue. So who do you think God sent? Not Joseph. (laughs) (laughs) Not Joseph. Who do you think? Another J. Pardon? No? Jesus. Jesus. Good. Yeah, he sent Jesus. And you know that Jesus came to earth. We remember his birth every Christmas. And he lived on earth. And unlike you and me, he lived a perfect life. He never did anything that we would call a sin. He never did anything God's rules. And he was the only person who has ever lived who has managed to do that. And he did that to come and to save us. You might say, well, how does Jesus, living a perfect life, save you and me? Well, do you know what? You're going to have to wait till next week to find out. Come back next week and you'll find out. Okay, thank you for listening. Go back to your place, please. Jeremiah 31:34 says, No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. This verse speaks of our ability to know the Lord Almighty, because he is a forgiving God. And we are going to sing of that in our next hymn, and also be hearing that um, in our sermon later on. So we'll stand to sing when the music begins. This fear and unbelief has not the Father put to thee. He's part the Son for us. And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for that debt of sin? Now cancel that. i
taken from Psalm 32. So we'll take your Bibles. Uh, the Church Bibles is page 610. Psalm 32, reading the whole psalm. So Psalm 32 beginning at verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped, as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. And surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bits and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love 
surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Joseph's now going to come and pray for us. We're going to pray together. Uh, Before we do, just one piece of news to help you follow the prayer. I hope you realise that uh, what we do here is not someone prays and the rest are just sitting and waiting or listening, but it's to be all of us praying together. And so to help you follow this prayer, um, Living Hope Church is a new church starting this afternoon at four o'clock in Thermiston. Thermiston is the place just north of Leicester where the big Asda is. So as part of our prayers, we're going to be praying for that new church. Let's pray together now. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that we come to you on the Lord's day, a day when all over the world he, the Lord, is building his church. And we pray it would be a good Lord's day for the building of the church of your son and the gates of hell not prevailing against it. Father, thank you you are building your church in Ukraine and that today uh, church buildings in Ukraine are full, full of unbelievers crowding in. Some coming to receive food and help, but they're also coming and hearing good news and hope. And so, Father, we pray, please do your speciality, which is bringing good out of evil. What an evil, what a terrible situation there. But thank you. It is far from beyond you to bring good out of that evil. Father, you say in your word, you do not ignore the cry of the afflicted. So please hear the cry of the afflicted there. And answer them beyond what they're crying for and beyond what they're expecting and bring them salvation and bring them eternal life. In other words, please bring them to Jesus, your son. Call them with your powerful call. Father, thank you that today a new church is starting just down the road from us in Thermiston. And as they gather this afternoon in Jesus' name, may he, as he says, be there at work among them. May there be evidence that he is with them. Thank you for the people who have planted that church. Thank you for the people in the coming months who will serve in that church. But please, may you make it grow. Father, it feels like maybe at the opposite end of the scale... Uh, A church that is wondering if it can survive. We pray for Woodhouse Eves Baptist Church as they together consider their future and wonder, can that church continue? It's so weak and so few. And so we pray that you'd guide them and give them wisdom. And whatever may happen to them as a church, we pray that still the gospel would come in some way to that village of Woodhouse Eves. Father, thank you for students returning to Loughborough and some coming for the first time. Uh, Those who are coming for the first time, we pray you'd guide the Christians which church to become part of. That you'd use them and the Christian Union to welcome others and bring the gospel to unbelieving students. Father, we pray for those students who are unbelievers coming to this town. Please may this new stage of life be for them a time when they get new life as they discover the Lord Jesus and turn to him. 
We pray for uh, Mark Millwood, who's, who's gone from here to be a student in Leicester, and ran, ran uh, about to, I think this coming week, go off to London. And we pray that you would be with them uh, as they go away from home. And in this new stage in life, uh, we pray that they would be relying on you and looking to you for their help and finding Christian friends who'd be a help to them. And now, Father, we pray for us, pray for ourselves. Thank you for the ways your word is taught here at this church, for the children's and teenagers group that's happened earlier this morning and the children's group about to happen in a few minutes and for the preaching of your word we receive. Please, Father, use these. May they not just be words without any power, but may they be accompanied by your spirit. May we not just be people who have Christian as our label, as our religion. Uh, Just be people who are persuaded this makes the best sense of life and this is the best worldview and we think these things on balance of probability are true. Father, may we not just be that. Please make us people who know whom we have believed and are persuaded that you are able to keep that which we've committed to you against that great final day. Please make us people who, although we haven't seen Jesus, we love him and rejoice with joy indescribable and full of glory. And so for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so, Father, please make us doers as well as hearers of your word that we hear today. As we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Parents, if you've got children who are preschool, there's a crash for them. Or year reception to year three, there's a children's group for them. So if you send them or take them on their way now, of course they're welcome to stay in here if you'd like that. got a few notices while they're going. First of all, welcome to students returning and new here. We've got lunch for students afterwards. It'll be in that area at the back. And all of you are welcome and invited to stay for lunch, whether you're new or returning, postgrad, undergrad, uh, UK or international, or any other type of student I've forgotten, um, or a parent dropping off students. All welcome to stay for lunch. Next notice is for all of us. This Sunday is our last chance to give to our harvest collection. The food has gone, so we're no longer collecting food, uh, but we've got one more Sunday of collecting money to go to the Christians Against Poverty Centre here in Loughborough and to um, people affected by the flooding in Pakistan. And the gift will just be split evenly between those. So gifts can be left in the boxes at the back or transferred to the church's bank account, but they must have harvest clearly labelled on them so we know what to do with them. Next one is for church members. I hope you already are aware that this Thursday at 8 o'clock we've got a church members meeting. Please be there if you can this Thursday at 8 o'clock. And the next one, I think, Joanna, do you want to? Yes, she does.
Hello. I'll be brief because I've got three quick little ones. The first one is a thank you to everyone that came to Senior Moments on Tuesday. There were 50 of us all together, so it was a lovely meeting. Thank you to everyone who provided apples and crumbles and helpers. Um, so thank you for that. The next brief one is that some of you will see notices on the notice board with the shoebox leaflets. Many of you will be aware that there are some charities that at Christmas time pack um, shoeboxes um, full of gifts and presents and they go to children in other countries who wouldn't have a Christmas present. Um, and depending on the rules in that country, sometimes they contain a gospel message. <clears throat> Excuse me. So this year, Friday Club will be packing some shoeboxes. So there are two ways that you can help with that. You can take a leaflet and make a box and bring it ready done. Or there will, from next week, be a box in the foyer where you could put a few loose items. And on the 28th of October, the children will make up some boxes. So that's the second thing. And lastly, this is my main notice, which is for women, women only. At Hollywell, every couple of months, we have a meeting called Flourish, which is just a meeting where the women come together. Um, it's usually taught, we study the Bible, we meet together and pray. But this, this week, which is actually this Saturday coming, our meeting is a trip. So I know a Saturday isn't always possible for women to get away for a whole day, but this Saturday on the 1st of October, there's um, the Midlands Women's Convention. So if you would like to join us, it's a good day. We'll be looking at 1 Peter. There'll be a time of Bible study and singing and fellowship. A good time for us to get together and actually know each other better, as well as meet people from other churches. So there'll be a group going from here. If you would like to join us, please book yourself on. Go online and book your own ticket. But if you would like to come um, and have your transport coordinated, if you need transport, let one of us know. There's me or Margaret or Katie or Rebecca. But by Wednesday, please. Rebecca's looking to coordinate transport by this Wednesday. And then Claire Warden has kindly offered that we can have a pit stop at her home on the way, on the way back to have some time together and just chat and have a drink and um, talk about what we've learned in the day. It'll be an hour or so. The whole thing will be, um, I think it's about half past nine, ten in the morning, but we should all be done and home by five. We're going to sing. After that, Tim's going to preach for us. Um, We've heard our theme this morning is forgiveness. In this hymn, we're praising God for forgiveness. We're also asking him to teach us. The hymn says, tune our hearts, get our hearts in tune with God's forgiveness and teach us to sing his praise. And then in, in verse two, it has a word that might be unfamiliar to some people, Ebenezer, which doesn't mean a character out of a Charles Dickens story. It means a memorial to God's goodness in the past. So, as usual, we'll stand when the music begins.
seats. Well, good morning, everyone. It's really fantastic to see you all, whether you're new here or you're regulars. Um, my name is Tim, in case you've not met. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And it is really true, I have never gone over the speed limit I don't have a driving license because I can't see. So I'm very thankful for Mario Kart because it doesn't give you any limits on how fast you can go. So um, there you go. Well, if you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, page 1022 in our English Bibles, or part 2, page 10 in our Chinese Bibles. There are plenty at the back if you don't have one, or if you're using a device. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, where we continue our series in the Lord's Prayer. I could never forgive for what they did. What he did was unforgivable. Forgiveness is simply not possible after her actions. Well, we often hear sentiments like that, don't we? They often may come up on our news feeds after the latest atrocity, maybe. But they also occur in our conversations around us. Maybe we are in a situation or aware of someone else where the relationship with someone else is deeply strained or perhaps even hostile because of a refusal to forgive. In fact, maybe we are the ones who are struggling to forgive. Maybe a colleague at work has wronged us in some way. Maybe we've got a friend who has recently betrayed us, or a family member who has deeply hurt us. Maybe there's an issue from the past, maybe something that happened years ago that we're just struggling to let go. And if, you know, if someone mentions the idea of forgiveness to us, we may smile on the outside and just put on a front, but inside we cannot help but think they have no idea what they are talking about. They have no idea what this person did to me was so wrong. They just have no idea at all. Of course, forgiveness, it may sound like a nice idea in principle, but in reality, it's just not always possible, is it? It's too difficult to forgive them. Well, for people who feel just like this, and perhaps that might be some of us here this morning, Jesus taught a prayer, the Lord's Prayer, which we've been going through over the last few weeks together. So let's remind ourselves again of how Jesus presented this prayer, which can be found, as I said, in the middle of his famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, page 1022, English Bibles, part 2, page 10 in our Chinese Bibles. We're starting to read at verse 9. How about verse 9 of chapter 6? We'll just listen. This is Jesus speaking. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, normally we stop there at verse 13, don't we? That's what we've been doing over the last few weeks. But just glance over at verses 14 and 15, because those verses are going to be really important for us during our time together this morning. Jesus says this in verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This morning, we're going to learn three things about forgiveness. Firstly, being forgiven is unbelievable. Secondly, being forgiven 
is a daily thing. And thirdly, being forgiven changes us. So let's start off with our first heading on our outlines, on those sheets that you got on your chairs. Being forgiven is unbelievable. Many of you know, they may, you may know the story of a father with his two sons. It's called the prodigal son. You don't need to turn to it, but here's a summary of what happens. There's his father, and he has two sons. And the younger son, he comes to his father and says, Here, give me my share of the inheritance now. Now we know inheritance, that's the kind of thing that gets passed down to you once your parents die. So effectively, this younger son, he's saying, I wish you to be dead. What is yours? I want to be mine, and I want it now. I basically want you to be dead. And his father, he does exactly what he wants. He splits his estate into two, and he gives half of it to his younger son, who then spends it all on wild parties. Now, we may look at this younger son and just think, what an ungrateful so-and-so. What a pig. And yet Jesus told this story as an illustration to describe what we are like. Because we have treated our creator God as though he didn't exist. God, I basically wish you were dead. Stop mucking around in my life and my business. I want you to leave me alone. I want to live my life on my own without any any interference. Thank you very much. I want you to be gone. That's how so many of us have treated God, our creator. And whether that is by living our lives in wild parties, <laughs> or whether it's just living a more quieter affair, all of us have done what we want to do because we think that what we know is best for us and our lives. And the Bible calls that attitude sin. And it says that all of us have sinned and that we have treated God as if we don't want him to be part of our lives. Perhaps some of you might be sitting here thinking, well, actually, I'm okay. I've kind of lived an okay kind of life. I've not done particularly bad things. I've kind of served God. I'm doing all right, thank you very much. Well, that is precisely why Jesus tells the story with two sons instead of one. Because this older son, he may not have gone and asked his father to give him a share of inheritance and gone and spent it all on wild parties. Instead, he is working for his father. And yet, listen to what he says to his father. Listen to what he says. He says, all these years, I have been slaving away for you. And yet, you never even gave me such a even of a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. So, this older son, he may not have gone and squandered inheritance on wild parties, but he doesn't love his father, does he? He served him as if he's some kind of cruel master. He's a self-righteous, religious kind of person, and he's therefore just as sinful as the younger son who has gone off and spent his father's inheritance in wild parties. Two sons, two different ways of treating God. Which one are you? Maybe you come to church this morning and you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian. Maybe you don't know that much about Jesus at all. Well, please let me have a moment, if I may, to introduce you to the Lord Jesus by telling you about the Father. Because remember, this story is not just about two sons. It's also about a father. And that's really important that we understand this. Because he is the most important character in the story. The younger son, later on, he realises that he's been an absolute idiot and he comes and he realizes he's going to have to confess what he's done to his father. 
And so he begins to walk back. But while he's doing that, his father sees him from a distance. Clearly, his father has been watching out for him day after day. And what he does, he leaves everything behind and he starts running as fast as he could to get to his younger son. And that's important because older men did not do this. It was seen as undignifying. But nevertheless, he goes and rushes as fast as he could to meet his younger son. And as they meet each other, his younger son starts to confess what he has done. Father, I am sorry for what I have done and how I have treated you. I am not worthy to be called your son. But his father ignores what he says. He cuts him off halfway and he embraces him. He puts the family ring on his finger. And guess what he does? He throws him a party. And he says, this son of mine was dead, but now is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. This father, my friends, is like God. Because God rejoices when someone repents and confesses their sins and comes back to God. And God forgives them. He welcomes them home. He throws them a party, if you like. Kills the fattened calf. And this is the unbelievable truth about Christianity that you will find nowhere else in no other religion or faith system. That God welcomes sinners. He welcomes people who don't deserve to be welcomed. People who have who are not nice. People who have done things that don't deserve to be forgiven. People who are rotten to the core. And God is a loving Father. He is a forgiving God, a merciful, compassionate, gracious God. And he forgives people who don't deserve it because he chooses to because he loves us. Now, that may sound all very nice and everything, but it begs the question, how can a good God forgive sinners? It's all very well saying, I forgive that, and then just brush it aside as if it doesn't matter anymore. That doesn't sound right, does it? How can a good and just God forgive things that are not good and not just? Well, God does, we need to be clear on this, God does punish sin. He is a holy God and he must punish sin. But here is the great news, here's the unbelievable truth. He punishes sin, but he doesn't punish us. Instead, he punishes a substitute. It's incredible. Every sinner who comes to God confessing their sin in repentance, is forgiven because God transfers that punishment from them onto a substitute. A substitute who is God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle John, he wrote later on in the New Testament, he wrote these words, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Listen to this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his Son, his one and only Son, into the world that we might live through him. This is love. The world often talks about love these days, isn't it? But this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The word atone here, it means to pay the penalty. His son, Jesus Christ, was an atoning sacrifice. Which means Jesus' death on the cross paid the penalty for our sin. God's just and right anger against sin was exhausted. It was paid. A substitute died in our place at the cross. 
My friends, this is our God. A forgiving, loving God. Compassionate, merciful God who does treat sin as it should be treated. No mistaking that. And he punishes it. But he does it in such a way that means he can also forgive us who have sinned against him day after day. And so I must ask you all this. Do you know the unbelievable forgiveness of your creator God? The sacrifice of God's son on the cross was enough to forgive the worst sinner, the paedophile, the rapist, the murderer. No sin that you have committed is too bad for God to forgive. Being forgiven really is unbelievable. What a gospel that we have. But there's more to it than that. Secondly, being forgiven is a daily thing. If we've come to Jesus and confessed our sin to our Heavenly Father honestly, everything that we have done in the past and everything that we will do in the future, it's all forgiven once and for all. The slate is wiped clean and Jesus' death has paid it all. We are completely right with God. But the question is, why does then Jesus teach his people to pray, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors? Remember, Jesus teaches us a daily confession of sin because he's teaching disciples here. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer for his people, Christians. A prayer for someone who can call God the Creator, their Heavenly Father. And remember, that can only happen if we come to God through Jesus and have been adopted into his family as sons and daughters. So Jesus, he is teaching Christians here, disciples of him, children of God, who have been forgiven for every single sin, past, present and future. And yet he is teaching them in the Lord's Prayer to come to our Heavenly Father and ask him to forgive us our debts. Slightly bizarre, is it not? What's going on? Well, it may appear slightly strange, but may I submit to you all this morning, actually, it really isn't that strange. Just... May I borrow your imagination for a moment? Think of a normal earthly family. Take your pick, and a child does something wrong. And if you're a parent, we've all been there. They do something against their parents. Maybe they lie. Maybe they take something that doesn't belong to them. Or maybe they just simply refuse to do what their parents ask them to do. And you know as parents that this is wrong. You know it's unacceptable. And you know that they've been unkind and unloving towards you, and you want them to say sorry to you. And you want, it to, you want them to tell it with their own lips. And you want to hear it from their own lips. Now, any normal parent, they're not going to suddenly throw their child out of the family if they don't come and say sorry. Because you love them. You love them unconditionally. And you have forgiven them for whatever they might do because you are their parents and you love them. That's what you do. But, here's the crucial point. When they mess up, when they disobey, you want them to come and say sorry, and you, would, you want to be able to say, I forgive you, and give them a hug, and reassure them of your unconditional love towards them, because that's what families do, and this is what God does with his children. Every sin is completely forgiven because we have come to him through Jesus, but he wants us to come to him when we mess up, every day, because we are in a living relationship with him. And if we don't do that, if we don't come to our Heavenly Father daily confessing our sin, 
then our relationship with God will get strained and more difficult as time goes on. This child I was just mentioning earlier, just imagine if that child never comes to their mother or father and says sorry. Imagine if they refuse to say sorry. That relationship between parent and child is going to get more and more strained and difficult as time goes on, isn't it? Psalm 32, which was read to us earlier in the service, this Psalm 32 talks about all of this. Let me just remind you, the psalmist says this, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through the groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may still be found. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Psalm 32, it's a psalm, isn't it, about someone who hides their sin from God and it doesn't go well for them, doesn't it? But there comes a time when they acknowledge their sin. Do you recognize that? They acknowledge their sin, they open it up, and they confess it to the Lord. And God forgives them. And they can now rejoice again together because the relationship between the two of them is now okay again. And so here it it is. We Christians, we've been forgiven once and for all when we first came to God through the Lord Jesus. But because we are in a living, active relationship with a loving Heavenly Father, He wants to hear us daily confess our sin to Him. Because He doesn't want our relationship with Him to become strained and difficult. And so I must ask you, if you're trusting in Jesus today, do you know that life of regular honest confession is that a habit that we do in our personal christian walk and is it a habit that we do regularly as a church family when we gather together to worship being forgiven it's unbelievable it's astonishing it's amazing being forgiven is a daily thing and thirdly being forgiven changes us Jesus teaches us to pray, Matthew 6, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. He is teaching a very simple lesson. God has forgiven our sin. This changes us so that we forgive sins committed against us. And if we've not forgiven something that someone has done towards us, then, and if we refuse to forgive them, then we have not understood the forgiveness that God has shown to us. And therefore, we might not be a Christian in the first place. That's the lesson that Jesus is teaching us all this morning. Jesus, to be clear, he is not saying that God forgives when we forgive other people, because that would be to earn our salvation. And Christianity is all about grace for people who do not deserve it. But what Jesus is saying is that the evidence that we fully understood and appreciated how much God has forgiven us is that we will then begin to imitate our loving Heavenly Father by forgiving others. 
Jesus tells another story later on in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 18. Don't turn to it, but it's the parable of the unmerciful servant. Let me just summarise what happens. There's this king, right, and he needs to settle all of his accounts. There's this servant over here, and he owes him 10,000 bags of gold, a really big sum of money, which the servant knows he has no way in paying back the king. It will take him more than his life's worth of work to do it. And so the king throws him and his whole family into slavery, into jail, so that they can begin to pay back the debt. But the servant pleads with the king. He says, I am sorry. Please forgive me. Be patient with me. The king takes pity on him and he cancels the debt. All of it. 10,000 bags of gold. He cancels all of the debt. Here's the question. What does then this servant do in response? Here's what happens. This servant then goes and finds another servant who owes him 100 pieces of silver. Still a fair bit of money, but nowhere near compared to 10,000 bags of gold. In any event, he finds this other servant and he says, Give him my money! Give him my money! Give him my money! And he begins to choke him. The second servant says, I am sorry, please forgive me. I will pay it back. Please be patient with me. I swear I'll pay it back. But the first servant refuses. And what he does, he has him tortured and put into jail so that he could pay back that 100 pieces of silver. Understandably, all these other servants who saw what happened, they were distressed. You can imagine. They were enraged. And so what they do is they go and tell the king everything that had happened. And the king, well, you can imagine how he must be feeling at the moment. He storms out and he begins to look for this first servant. He eventually finds him, and this is what he says. How could you do this? How dare you do this to your fellow servant? Don't you remember, I cancelled all that debt of yours, 10,000 bags of gold's worth, and yet you treat your fellow servant like this? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? And with that, in anger, the king has this first servant thrown into jail to be tortured until he could start paying back all that he owed. It's a sobering story, isn't it? But Jesus uses this parable, this story, to teach us a really important lesson. He uses it to illustrate the forgiveness that God has shown to us. 10,000 bags of gold's worth, a lifetime of sin against the holy God. Jesus compares that to the sin that we might refuse to show to others. In other words... If you've not forgiven something that someone has done against you, you are being exactly like that unmerciful servant. And if you persist in refusing to forgive, then you will end up like the unmerciful servant. That is a big warning. Not because we need to earn salvation by forgiving people, but because if we don't forgive others, it shows that we've not fully, truly understood or appreciated how much we've been forgiven by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do we struggle to forgive? It's very hard. Why do we struggle to forgive? Maybe it's because we've not fully appreciated or understood the difference between the 10,000 bags of gold and the 100 pieces of silver. We don't see that our sin over a lifetime against God 
is incomparable to the sin against us. It costs when someone, when someone hurts us. It costs to forgive them, doesn't it? It's difficult to forgive other people. They may have done something that is very, very wrong. Very bad indeed, and it's difficult. There's no pretense there. But may I submit to you all this morning, we are just as bad. We can so easily look down at people and say, how dare they do this to me? And yet, we have done far worse day after day to the awesome holy God. And yet, he has forgiven all of our sins. We don't deserve that. At this point, you might be here, sitting there, wondering, well, okay, if someone has wronged me, but what if they've not come to me and asked for forgiveness? What if they refuse to repent? What if they haven't asked for forgiveness? The Bible recognizes this, this complication because Mark 11 verse 25 says this, When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone else, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. That sounds pretty clear, doesn't it? We need to forgive other people. But Luke 17 verse 3 says this, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, then forgive them. That seems to say we need to forgive other people if they repent. Do you see the complication? Timothy Lane, he wrote a really helpful little book about forgiving other people. Um, It's called Forgiving Others, if you want to look for it online later on. Um, He wrote about two different axes when it comes to forgiveness. There's a vertical axis and a horizontal axis. The vertical axis is Mark 11. It's about dealing with our bitterness and dealing with forgiving others in our hearts with God in our relationship. We need to get rid of the bitterness that we may have against that other person. But the horizontal axis, that's Luke 17, that's person to person. We've forgiven them in our heart, vertical, but if they don't repent, then there's no going, it's going to be very hard to have true horizontal reconciliation. And if they don't repent, although it might be difficult to have reconciliation, we still need to forgive them in our heart and do business with God. Now, how we ask for forgiveness is also very important because we need to be clear, an apology is not the same as asking for forgiveness. It's not the same. And Timothy Lane writes in his book uh, something that can really help us here. He says that we should firstly name the specific sin and then we need to ask the specific person for forgiveness. For example, I was wrong to shout at you. Please, Joseph, forgive me. I have named the specific sin, and then I've asked the specific person for forgiveness. Because what we tend to say, I'm sorry I shouted you, and then the other person says, don't worry about it, it's okay, don't worry about it. It's not okay. We should not minimise sin. It's not okay. And we need to deal with sin properly in the church family. I'm I'm sorry that I shouted at you and I got angry. Please, Joseph, forgive me. I forgive you. Hopefully. We have treated sin as, we should be treat, as it should be treated. We've recognised that it's wrong, it's unkind, it's unloving. And we've also forgiven them. And that is authentic, genuine, real Christian forgiveness. 
Of course, there are some things that don't need to be forgiven. In the sense, if I accidentally spill a cup of coffee over you after the service, I'm not going to do it on purpose, but if I do it by accident, you know, I could say sorry, and I hope that you would love me and not hold it against me. But it's not something that needs forgiveness because it's not a sin. Life is often full of those small things, be it accidents or just some things that just simply annoy us. Housemates or our husband or wife. Often when you live together with somebody else, there are so many little things that get in the way, aren't there? So many things that get between you. And many of these things, they don't need to be forgiven because they are not sins. But may I submit to you today, Often, so many of these little things, they build and build in our hearts, and bitterness grows. And over time, we just explode like an exploding kitten. And I think what this is teaching us is that we need to let go of that bitterness, and we need to love the other person instead. Of course, there are some things that we will need to raise with the other person, and we need to do our best to seek reconciliation, because that's loving. But we need to recognize there are some things that aren't worth talking about, because they are too small. We should get rid of that bitterness, and we need to love the person. Whether it's in our marriages, in our friendship circles, the people that we live with on campus, or perhaps our life here at Hollywell Church. Forgiveness is costly. It's difficult. 100 pieces of silver is still a great amount. It still needs to be earned. It still costs, and someone has to pay That's why I think Jesus uses the word debt in the Lord's Prayer and why he uses the word debt in the parable of the unmerciful servant. If I was to, for example, borrow your drill or if you were to kindly kindly loan me your coffee machine or your Xbox, but then if I turn turn it back to you and it's broken, I could say sorry and you can forgive me, but something has cost, something needs to be earned to pay it back, whether it's me or whether it's you or church insurance, whichever is best. Do you get the point? When someone sins against us, in order to properly forgive them, someone has got to bear the pain and the loss. Whether it's financial, physical, emotional, spiritual, or perhaps all of these things. Forgiveness, my friends, is costly, it's difficult, and I'm sure we can think of many examples in our own personal lives. Often the cost indeed might be financial and having to replace physical goods. But sometimes it might be deciding not to defend ourselves when someone in the workplace insults us or talks about us behind our backs that could deeply destroy and ruin our reputation and status. What about at church? Maybe some of us sat here, they, we don't think that we have an issue when it comes to forgiveness. I mean, we're Christians after all. We know the Lord's Prayer. By now, we can probably recite it off by heart. Surely there's not a problem when it comes to forgiveness at Hollywell Church, is there? Can I ask all of us here this morning an honest question? Because here is the thing. Although the power of sin is defeated, because we live in a sinful world, the presence of sin is very much active. And so some people will wrong us in church, one way or another. And so the question is this. How much do you turn it over in your mind when somebody wrongs you at church? How often do you talk about what this person has done to you or failed to do what they were supposed to have done? What's your immediate reaction when someone brings their name up in conversation after services? 
Do you avoid them altogether? Do you see them on this side and you deliberately sit on this side of the church? Do you avoid them like that or you just simply avoid to speak their name in conversation, whether it's at home group or the prayer meeting? May I submit to you, there just might be that we need to do some reconciling with one another this morning. There will be instances where we're wronged one another and we've not truly forgiven each other or sought true reconciliation. Maybe there's someone here right now this morning that you need to deal with. Firstly, you need to forgive them in your heart, vertically, but then you need to also seek horizontally true reconciliation. Because here's the thing, God does not sit here folding his arms, shaking his head. He doesn't say, well, I've forgiven this person, so at least they don't go to hell. But I I sure hope they don't come to my side of heaven. They better stay on that side of heaven because I don't want to speak to them at all. That's not what our God is like, is it? So what about you? Jesus says, if you forgive those who sin against you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive those who sin against you, then your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Well, where does this leave us as we finish? Well, we need to look again to the Lord Jesus Christ as we have been doing over the last few weeks and we need to follow his supreme example. Well, what does it mean then for Jesus to be praying this prayer? Well, actually, for this line of the Lord's Prayer, wonderfully, Jesus never had to pray this prayer because Jesus never sinned. Wonderfully, Jesus never had to ask his, God, ask his Father God for forgiveness. And yet, may I suggest, this line of the Lord's Prayer, it does summarise quite nicely Jesus' life and ministry. Do you remember what the angels said about Jesus when, he was, when his birth was announced? He said this, You are to call him Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. And then approaching his death, Jesus spoke of the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus came, and he lived, and he died, because he wanted us to receive his blessing of forgiveness. And later on in Matthew's Gospel, we get an insight into the very heart of Jesus at the cross itself. As Jesus was nailed to the cross, you know, it would be understandable by worldly standards, it would be understandable if Jesus bore a grudge against those who were crucifying him. It would be understandable because what they did was totally unjust. It was totally wrong to execute someone who was totally innocent, had done nothing wrong, and had given his life in the service of others. And yet, at that very moment, as Jesus was dying, do you remember what he said? He prayed to his father, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. So, we must look again to Jesus. And as we do so, it exposes again all our failures, including our failure to forgive others. But the gospel, as we've seen this morning, is so amazing. Jesus died so that we can be forgiven, even of that failure to forgive others. Because of Jesus' death, we can pray this prayer, forgive us our debts, with the confidence that our Father in heaven will hear it 
and forgive. Isn't that wonderful? But as we realize the depths of God's forgiveness towards us day after day, we will see the need for us to then forgive others. And so the point is this. If that realization is simply not there at all, if we consistently refuse to forgive, then we can't have grasped what Jesus has done for us and we're not trusting in him yet. But if we do see that need, then let's keep on praying, including the Lord's Prayer. Let's be honest, we need help, don't we, to do what in our own strength, what we simply cannot do. It's only by the cross of Christ that we can even be forgiven in the first place. But it's also only by the cross of Christ that we can even then begin to forgive others and seek reconciliation. As we thought about at the very beginning of our time together, I cannot forgive, says the world. And you know it might be right. Humanly speaking, it is impossible for the world to forgive. But we know the wonderful the wonder of God's love for us, the forgiveness that he has shown to us in Christ. And so as Jesus says, he's going to say to us, pray for that forgiveness, but also pray for the grace to show that same forgiveness to others. And so we need to be asking God to strengthen us and to spur us on so that we can be children who imitate our loving Heavenly Father who wonderfully forgives. Remember what Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Amen. We're going to sing a song together that speaks of God's mercy. Our sins, they're many, but God's mercy is so much more. Let's stand and sing this together as the musicians lead us in song worship together. There's no musical introduction to this, so please stand. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy Could remember no wrongs we had done. Omniscient or knowing, he gaps not vessel. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the
said. Amen. Let's have a seat. We're going to close our service by just having some time of extended reflection. We realise that forgiveness is not an easy thing to talk about. Perhaps you're not trusting in Jesus today and there's something in the past that has been haunting for you for many years. Remember, no sin that you have done is too bad for God to forgive. Perhaps there might be some of us, though, here this morning who maybe we struggle to forgive others, um, whether it's in work or whether it's at home, whether it's in church. And we just need that time for God, by his Holy Spirit, to be at work in us, to convict us of our sin, of our failure to forgive others, and to spur us on in firstly forgiving them vertically, but also seeking horizontal reconciliation. We're going to have a time of now silent reflection. Maybe there's something that's just struck you from this morning. Use that time for your own prayers with God, and then I'll lead us in prayer to close our service together. Let's have a moment's quiet. Our sins, they are many. God's mercy is more. Dear Father God, thank you for everything you've been teaching us during our time in the Lord's Prayer the last few weeks. Lord God, we recognize and we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, um, in the evil that we have done and in the good that we have not done, uh, through negligence or through our own weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry, Lord God. 
and we repent of all our sins. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us all that is past and grant us that we may serve you in newness of life. To the glory of your name. Amen. Well, we've come to the end of our formal time together this morning, but don't feel you have to dash away straight away. There's going to be refreshments at the back. Parents, if you've got children in the children's group, remember to pick them up. Um, if you've got a question or if you want someone to pray for you, come and find me or come and find Joseph, who was giving the notices earlier. We'd love to chat to you some more, spend some more time with you. Do make yourself known if you're a visitor as well. So it was good to see you. Have a great Sunday, and we'll see you maybe this evening at 6.30. God bless. Thank you.